Welcome to Death Metal This week we're bringing you the Hi-Fi Murders, which is the gnarliest crime to ever take place in Ogden, Utah. It began as a robbery of the Hi-Fi shop and ended in the murder of three and the brutal torture of five hostages. The killers used a gun, ballpoint pen, and bottle of Drano to torture their hostages. It's going to be a good week, buddy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You fired up? I'm fired the fuck up. Man, I don't know if you guys have been watching our extra content, which we have been providing for free right now. It's a ramp up to when we actually full-on assault our Patreon. Buddy's been doing some record reviews that you can find on our page. It's all linked to the YouTube. You can just go to Death Metal Dicks on YouTube. I've been doing a true crime podcast. I got two in the can. I'm sure you've probably heard it because I look at the numbers and they're basically the same. So if you have feedback on anything, let us know before we start charging because that's all we're trying to do is tease you and make sure you want to get into what we got going on on Patreon. We're trying to satisfy you try to make this quick so I don't Patreon it the whole time. But that's the fastest, easiest way to support us as a podcast. Just go to patreon.com backslash Death Metal Dicks, look at the tiers, pick one that works for you, and support us like that. And if you can't afford to help us out monetarily, that's no problem at all. We're both poor as fuck. We understand another thing that can help us just as much is getting on the server that, what do you call it, a server? Whatever service you get podcasts from, be it iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you can review, just give us a five-star review, subscribe, and uh, tell your friends about us. That helps a ton. You yeah. know, if you can get one person to listen, that goes a long way. So, you know, we've been DIY, boots on the ground type of situation all along. And we appreciate all the help and feedback you have. And as far as Patreon goes, we've got some awesome backers right now. Carrie Vale, Michaela Janiski, I think I said that right. Jeffrey Ross and Ryan Parker are in the tiers where we shout them out. Thank you guys so much. My friend Ryan Parker is a $20 a month donator. And man, do we appreciate that. I love me some Ryan Parker. Man. Yeah, Ryan Parker rules, dude. He uh, used to do merch for Converge. He's been in some kick-ass bands, some kind of hate, Daltonic. He's got a new band right now. Cops and Robbers? Yeah, Cops and Robbers. He's got a good-ass a, band, man. He's got a new band right now called Holy Hands, 1215. So I think that's a week from Friday. He's got a record release show in New Bedford, Massachusetts. So all you mass holes out there that listen, go check that show out. It's several dudes that have been in some really good punk bands. I think I would call them like a post-punk band. That's good. Man. I like what they've got going, and they're releasing their first record. Ryan is a tremendous musician, and the band sounds great. So be excited. If you're in that area to catch that show, and if not, look for the Holy Hands record release. Hail to those guys. Also, we're on Professional Pirate Media. They've got a YouTube channel. They've got an Instagram, Facebook, all social media. Look them up. Mark, our producer, does a hilarious podcast called Epizootics of the Blowhole, where him and one to three other gentlemen sit around and discuss the topics du jour. I laugh at it. You laugh at it, buddy? Yeah, man. It's like Grey Poupon. (laughs) Check that shit out. You, you guys. said du jour. I just thought, man. Yeah, du jour, du jour. It's all me. the same, right? 
but yeah, man, thank you guys so much. We're happy to be here again. We love talking about gross shit with our friends, and that's what we aim to do tonight. We will go to Ogden, Utah, April 22nd, 1974. Dale Pierre Shelby, William Andrews, Keith Roberts, and three other men took two vans to a hi-fi store on Washington Boulevard in Ogden, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City. Hi-fi. The hi-fi store was an electronic store. Some variation of it is still actually open today in Roy, Utah. And I'm not sure if it was a chain back in the 70s, but there was at least one location that this took place at. The gang of six walked into the store just before closing and took it over by force. Force. The- <laughs> <laughs> is it because of the fucking Rob Parker's from Boston? No, because of that fucking uh, uh, Big Shack. Man's not hot. He's like, take it by force. Never heard that shit? No. Yeah, you are truly out of tune. That's good, though, man. I wish I had never heard it before. It's always stuck in my head. Anyway, Gang of Six walked into the store just before closing, took it over by force. The gang found two employees, Stanley Walker, 20 years old, and Michelle Ansley, age 18. Pierre and Andrews ordered both the store clerks into the basement, where they bound them both immediately. Meanwhile, the rest of the game began robbing the store. In other words, taking the electronics, the cash, the Gitas, yeah, putting them in the van. I really hate to interrupt you. Go ahead. In the live chat on the YouTube feed, it says, Bobby Hens, demand everyone to subscribe so they can see Buddy's sexy body and maybe his nips. Man, uh, shout out to Bobby Hens. He's a great follower. Talk to him on Facebook. Yeah. Funny dude. Let me tell you something. Don't man. take your shirt off. Let's oh, I just uh, go through this because people that listen to the podcast cannot see YouTube, but you can subscribe to YouTube. So, you me take my shirt off then? Go ahead, as long as you're fucking quiet. <laughs> In the midst of the robbery, sixteen-year-old <laughs> Byron Courtney Nesbit. Hold on, hold up, hold up, hold Bobby up. Courtney. <laughs> Bobby Courtney. Bobby yeah, Courtney. Yeah, I think I, I, no, dude, there's a lot of three-name people. You know, Utah is as white as it gets. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we live in Arkansas. We live in the South. Now, it is certainly a, uh, I would say, white majority here. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Especially with shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> and there's been a lot of gross racism, but let me tell you something. As far as the population of being pure, gross Mormon whites, Utah's got to be number one. Utah, Idaho, shit like that. That's where it's pure white, you know? And in the midst, um, anyway, a lot of three names. So Byron Courtney Nesbitt enters the store. It's Nesbitt. And it's with an A, dude, to thank Stanley Walker for letting him park at the store while he ran an errand next door. As soon as he walked in the fucking door, he was snatched up by Pierre and put in the basement. Oren Walker. So now they've got the two store employees and they got a hold of Byron Nesbit, And then Oren Walker is Nesbit. <laughs> who's Stanley's 43-year-old dad, gets worried his son has to come back. And, you know, this is before cell phones, so he can't just call him up and be like, hey, son, where are you at? He just tries to call the store, can't get a hold of anybody, gets worried, and then he goes down to the hi-fi store to see what the fuck's going on. Enters the store to investigate and immediately ends up being accosted and put 
directly into the basement. Thanks, Dad. Thanks. Have we ever given a backstory on the thanks, Dad? I don't know, but we should, just because it is, even if they've already heard before, it's a good story. Yeah, I can't remember. We do say thanks, Dad, a lot. Yeah. Uh, one time, me and Buddy were on a plane flying back, and the whole flight. We I mean, were flying like a, back from Las Vegas, dude. Vegas? It was it like was a f- four- or five-hour flight. I'll never forget that moment. <laughs> it's like a four- five-hour flight, and you see the son and dad. They've been fucking horse-playing. Well, it's a it's a, it's it's a a threesome, man. It's a mom, and then the son sitting in the middle, and dad sitting on the, <laughs> yeah, the right. aisle seat. So they got the whole row, the whole family row, which is a hard get. Was it Southwest? No, it was uh, American. Dude. American. So it yeah. was like pre-purchased tickets. So they planned all that shit. So they're all three sitting next to each other. This, yeah, the son's in the middle. He's goofing off, horsing around with dad. But it's not your regular horse. But first of all, he's like 17, I would say. Yeah. Maybe 20. You know, it's hard to tell. And uh, they're goofing off. They're tickling fiddling around with each other and they start like i mean they don't start the whole flight they're kind of kissing each other too yeah (laughs) yeah dude and the dad's like rubbing his ear like holding it between two fingers and rubbing it around here's the thing and here's when i knew there was enough of this shit (laughs) is when the mom was weirded the fuck out and she was just like straight up looking back to see if anybody else was seeing and then also whenever the son kissed the neck of the dad and they straight up fucking made out yeah yeah no no they they (laughs) buddy's not exaggerating i witnessed this shit with my own eyes i stood up and i looked straight ahead and i see this father and son lock fucking (laughs) lips it was like a saturday night live kiss and they like rub lips together and then as soon as i see them start slipping tongue i swear to god slipping tongue back and forth buddy just goes Thanks, Dad, for making me a fucking fag. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the whole plane stopped what they were doing and looked right at them. And they're kissed. And, dude, the mom fucking covers her face, falls into the seat, and pulls her shirt up over her face. <laughs> because hey, man. she's been watching her husband and offspring fuck for the entire Flight home from Las Vegas. It was absolutely incredible. But when we reference, thanks, Dad. That's why. But, you know, here's the thing, man. We don't care if y'all are gay or not. But if you're gay because your dad boned you, that's a problem. There's a problem. You got to go see a therapist. We don't care if you're gay. Get fingered by dudes. Get fucking boned by dudes. Why are you giving this dissertation right now? Because, man, people get offended. We live in the Offended by what? The F word. Fag? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a father and son making out. That's, you know, sometimes you got a bottle of wine that's been aging in your basement for 25 years. You got a nice 1999 Chambly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And uh, is that what makes people fuck kids? No, no, no. Shut the fuck <laughs> up for a minute, man. God damn. Company comes <laughs> over to your house, you know? To fuck and, your kid? <laughs> God, you're being a fucking idiot, dude. It's like one extreme or the other. You're either quiet or you say dumb shit over and over. <laughs> I'm making a point. <laughs> Your point sucks. Listen, listen. I'm going somewhere with this. Okay. You got a aged bottle of wine, pure to perfection, and the perfect time to break it out. You got some old friends you haven't seen in a while. They come over, and you want to show them a good time. You break that old wine out. Now, sometimes saying the word fag at the right time and place, you know, once every 30 years presents itself. And when you crack that boy open, it really 
tickles the palate. You know what I mean? And mm. if you see a son and father make out <laughs> with each other, I think it's okay to <laughs> drop the F word on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I do. I do know what you mean. <laughs> I fucking know what you mean, brother. <laughs> All right. Can we uh, move along with the crime? Yeah, you enjoying that shit? The beer? Yeah. Yeah, it's, man. It's not uh, a fancy one, but it's a, it's decent, man. No, it's fine. Mm. It, it takes you to the next fucking level, which is what we need every time. Yeah. No, barley wines are dope, but that, that really is the thing to drink, dude, because you're not... I mean, if you're drinking beer, it's not over-carbonated. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And... uh it's got a lot of malt to it, and I'm really fucking my diet up. Whatever. Fuck diets. All right. I got to... The thing is, is it flows cohesively, so I got to just roll through it. All right. So, in the midst of the robbery... All right, we got that. Byron Courtney Naisbit. He enters a store. that They've kidnapped him. So, now, we've got the two employees that work there, and then we got Byron. So, we got three people. <laughs> Gee, I'm burping like heavy. And we got um, Pierre, who has put them all in the basement. Now, Oren Walker. Ah, dude. See, I backtracked. I'm fucking this episode up already, buddy. You yeah. think we'll be all right? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, we're saying Oren Walker, which is Stanley, one of the store clerks, 43-year-old dad. He's worried his son hasn't come back. There's no cell phones. He's called the store. He goes down to the Hi-Fi store to see what the fuck's going on. And, of course, he opens the door and uh, Pierre snatches him up and throws him in the basement as well. Fun. Lots of fun. You can't get a hold of somebody. That's that old school shit, man. Did your parents ever show up somewhere looking to whoop your ass because they couldn't just call you on a cell phone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they actually, they have. And the, then, uh, you know. The girl's house, but I wouldn't fucking. Yeah, of course you weren't. You didn't fuck till you were like 24. 21. Oh, whatever. 21, I wasn't fucking nobody. I had a stinky-ass cheese dick. I didn't know how to wash my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, you smelled and you fucking looked like... Uh, you looked like Reba McIntyre ate Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah, I just blown away. I had, like, fish eyes and shit. Yeah. Uh, and in a wild turn of events that lends to the absurd, another parent, Carol Peterson Naisbit, came looking for her tithead son who was kidnapped. <laughs> That's the dude who walked. He just walked in the store to be like, hey, thanks for letting me park there. That's a great lesson in being nice. Don't do that shit. Be a fucking asshole. If you want to park in a parking lot, just park your stupid fucking car there and go on about your business, white Utah. No one would do that anywhere else in the world but some weird Mormon place where you have to ask permission to use a fucking parking lot. God. Yeah, you get murdered for shit like that. Food there is real terrible, I bet. Oh, yeah. So now there's... Actually, there's Crown Burger in uh, Is it good? Utah. Yeah, dude. It's a burger. And then they put, like, a Reuben on top of the burger. Whoa, that is good. Yeah. I mean, never had it. it no, it's great. incredible, dude. I it's just I... like a Let's burger with, <laughs> with corned beef and fucking Thousand Island on that. And, and sauerkraut on that motherfucker. Fuck. It's incredible. Um, so there's now five hostages rather than the two to three that the crew assumed would be there. The crew's physical leader, Dale Pierre, sends William Andrews to the car to retrieve a bottle in a brown paper bag. Everyone's bound, gagged. Pierre pours a cup of what's blue liquid and orders Stanley's dad, Oren, who just got there, to give the liquid to the other hostages. He wants to know what the liquid is, and Pierre tells him it's vodka laced with sleeping pills. 
Oren refuses to administer the drink, so they bind Gag and place him face down on the basement floor with everyone else. Pierre and Andrews then force everyone else to sit up, repeating to them that the liquid is vodka laced with sleeping pills, then forcing them to drink it. Turns out all that tasty forget-it-all juice is actually Drano. I, had do, I hate vodka, but if they were to be like, it's got ambient in it, I would have definitely done it. Well, yeah, I mean, if dude, if you're being accosted, you know, yeah, if you're kidnapped and someone offers you a sleeping pill, take that motherfucker. Um, yeah, so the victim, their faces instantly begin to blister in what was described as huge bubbles. They can see their lips, tongues, and throats start peeling away. And they just have these gurgling boils on their face. And Pierre and Andrews tried to duct tape the Drano in their mouths to, and also wanted to silence the fucking screaming that they made happen by pouring Drano in human beings' mouths. But because of the way the Drano is making the mouse blister up, there's all this pus and Drano, the tape won't stick. Orin is the last person to be given the drain cleaner. And after watching what happened to everyone else... He mimicked, I'm sorry, he was laying on the ground and they poured it into his mouth instead of making him sit up, so he let it run out of his mouth, and then he mimicked the screams and convulsions of everyone else, including his son, were going through at the time. Didn't, okay, I, I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm sure you do, but didn't he do that because he saw it on some kind of fucking TV show? Yes, yeah. okay. buddy, yes. Okay, well, fine, we're there, aren't we? We fucking picked up right where you left off, you piece of fuck. Most of the intel from the crime came from Oren and the trials and confessions of the killers. So Oren, of course, survived. At this point, Pierre gets mad because they've been trying to kill these five for almost an hour. It's loud. Everyone's screaming, writhing around on the ground, suffering from having Drano poured into their mouth. And they're making a mess. Increasing the odds that they're all going to get caught. If you're a criminal trying to get the job done, you don't want to leave any evidence. You don't want anyone to walk in on you committing the crime. And though there's no cameras or alarm systems at this time in America, you got to think that Mormons are listening for screams. Do they listen to screams? They're listening to the fucking cries of the Lord. The cries of the Lord? The cries of the Lord. Why? Because Joseph Smith clearly defrauded Jesus and them? <laughs> Didn't Jesus defraud Jesus? <laughs> <laughs> Did you know what's always the funniest thing to me about the crucifixion? is <laughs> when the centurions like put Jesus on the cross and they get him up there. And there's the Bible's like, yeah, they're just laughing at him, making fun of him. <laughs> and then they go, uh, which is what I did when I watched Passion of the <laughs> oh, Christ. Oh, man, I love that movie. <laughs> the centurions look at Jesus and go, oh, yeah, son of God, huh? Well, if you're God and all that, why don't you just uh, come on down? <laughs> <laughs> Dude, listen, I wouldn't watch Passion of the Christ and this fucking lady lost her shit because I was laughing. The whole time, and when we got done, she goes, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. I had to be like 14 years old. 
My parents are trying to save me again because of all the heavy metal I've been listening to. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for laughing at something like that. And I was like, why? It's fucking hilarious. And she goes, no, it's not. That really happened. And I go, no, it didn't. <laughs> and I remember I remember like going to church on Sunday and the preacher was talking about it. And it was like, I told this guy, this guy came outside and he's like, that was a good movie. He said, the book's even better. And he goes, there's a book? I was like, okay, this is bullshit. Because uh, for one, we're in Arkansas, so everybody <laughs> knows. <laughs> yeah, dude, I had a very similar experience watching Passion of the Christ, which I'm sure that me and you have talked about before, and I'll save it for another time. But yeah, essentially, that movie's hilarious. I, I, I feel like Mel Gibson intended it to be that way. Yeah, like the devil, and it just bashing Jews the whole time. <laughs> God. He uh he was off the rails at that point. I think that's when Mel Gibson got pulled over and was just like, Jews! Jews and Jews! It's the Jews' fault that I'm drunk right now. Then he, got, then he went real deep on the oh, yeah. wife. I don't even want to bring... We already no, even said bad. fag in this, so I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think we've gone far enough down it's bad. fucking forbidden word territory. I'm not saying that yeah, word. Yeah, I know. That's the worst. But you could just look up Mel Gibson calls his ex-wife... If you haven't seen it, and he's talking... What do you call a lady sugar tits? So. Yeah. yeah. dude. He's fucking hilarious, man. I mean, that dude, I, that's just the type of money I want. And no one's come out and said that Mel Gibson has sexually abused anyone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he just verbally did it. Compared to the church, he's good. But, man, I'm telling you right now, if I could just wild out like that, and, and people would be so mad about it, but I would just still be rich. <laughs> like, nothing you could do. Like, oh, man, he's not got shit going on. He's just out here making uh, Apocalyptica and shit-ass movies like that. <laughs> His career's certainly taken a dump, but he's got an unimaginable amount of funds. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm trying to do, son, is but just get suck. that money where I can say what I like. No, but <laughs> suck. Mm. Man, drinking rules. All right, so again, Pierre is pissed off because the shit's taking forever, you know? It's just two dudes on the inside and then four dudes on the outside. They're all loading up. Meanwhile, these guys are doing the hard work. Pierre decides to get the show on the road and shoot Carol and Courtney Nesbitt in the backs of their heads. Carol instantly dies, and Courtney is still alive. Pierre then fires a shot at Oren Walker and misses. Great work, friend. Then he turns the gun on Oren's son, Stanley, shoots him in the head, killing him, fires at Oren again, this time grazing him in the back of the head, thinking that he killed him. Now, this is the part of the show where I'm looking out for you, and if you're bothered by rape, stop. (laughs) Skip ahead about five minutes. If you get hot, continue. Kidding, oh my I'm kidding, god! I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Great work, buddy. I'm kidding. Sure, yeah, yeah. Let's we'll take that back. You <laughs> <laughs> oh man, just give me three beers and buddy's talking about rape. I'm <laughs> no, not well, talking about yeah, you're rape. Right. Well, I'm talking about. You're rape. talking about it. I just said, hey, right. That's a fair warning. Ski daddle, unless you want to hear about it. Only serial killers like this. Shit. Skip ahead five. But that's not true. Bum bum bum. Wrong again, buddy Lloyd. Why don't you suck my hemorrhoid? Pierre then took Ansley to the far corner of the basement. Using the gun, 
He forces her to remove her clothes and repeatedly, brutally raped her after telling Andrews to clear out for about 30 minutes. After Pierre finished, he drug Ansley, who was still naked, across the floor where the other hostages now were and shot her execution style in the back of the head. God. Fucked up, man. After hearing the gunshot, Anderson comes back downstairs, and uh, Oren would actually go on to testify that Ansley's last words were, I'm too young to die. Didn't he watch her pee? Yeah, oh yeah, he wa- yeah. He watched her pee. <laughs> yeah, he let her go to the bathroom. She probably had hot diarrhea her. and then peed, man. Yeah, that's what I would do. Went through both channels. <laughs> Did he really? Butt, butt and poon. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's not uh, funny at all. That's not funny at all. This uh, Andrews <laughs> came back in and he noticed that Oren is still alive. So Pierre mounts him. Wraps a wire around his throat and tries to strangle him. I gotta assume that they're out of bullets because he would just shoot him, right? He's already shot <laughs> everyone else. He's yeah. not worried about the noise. When strangling him doesn't work, Andrews holds a ballpoint pin in Oren's ear as Pierre stomps on it until it breaks his eardrum and rips out a hole in the side of his throat. What the Fuck. Imagine that shit. Someone no. jams no. something through your ear. I'd rather be raped. And it, no, I, don't, I don't know, man. I don't know, and man. it goes all the way out your fucking throat. God. That's like such a long... Like, I'm I'm like trying to think with this pin. I mean, I could see it. I guess, like, once you breach, you know, Stop. you got your, like, ear canal to your nasal cavities. Shit. And you got all the sinuses, so I guess it just goes through and then shoop right out the old throat. Ugh. Making a hole there. And uh, they think he's dead, so Andrews and Pierre then finish loading the loot into their van and depart. Keith Roberts has actually been waiting outside the whole time, supposedly with three other dudes. The bodies were found about three hours after they left the scene. Oren's wife and other son had gone looking for Oren and his other son. After hearing Oren struggle to get free in the basement, his son kicked the door in while his wife called 911. So police showed up. They tried to get everyone help. Basically, everybody was dead. Everybody. Except for Oren and uh, what's his fucking name? I'll get to it. <laughs> it didn't take police long at all to crack the case. Just a few hours after news of the crime broke, an anonymous Air Force employee called Ogden Police and told them Andrews had confided to him months earlier, saying, one of these days, I'm going to rob that hi-fi shop, and if anyone gets in my way, I'm going to kill him. Ugh. What? So you're going to rob the hi-fi shop? I guess that's the most like, money-making ass place. Hi-fi is a money-making ass place in the 70s. Yeah, you know, I don't know what to, I mean, besides robbing banks, but technology was just at that point where TVs were, you know, 500 bucks for yeah. a color TV. Well, here's the thing, man. It's like rock and, rock and roll does influence you to do shit. Like, they were like, bad company, and they are like, damn, this sounds awesome. Let's rob a high five. <laughs> <laughs> or fucking James Brown. Good 
God. The damn it, man. You ain't wrong. Take what you want. <laughs> if I say no, do it anyway. Oh. <laughs> uh, crap. <laughs> and just hours after that tip was reported, two teenagers were dumpster diving near Hill Air Force Base, which is where Pierre and Andrews were stationed. They called police because they had found the victim's wallets and purses. Immediately recognizing the victims by their driver's license pictures in correlation with what had been on the news. I usually take a shit on cops because I hate them. But in this instance, a pretty solid detective responded to the scene. A crowd had already gathered and he believed that the killer was probably there in that crowd. So he decided to put on a show for the airmen that were there. He loudly described each piece of evidence and gave details about each victim's life as he used tongs to remove evidence from the dumpster. Which I imagine, you know, as he pulled out each wallet, he was like, This man was a great individual. He came inside of his wife only to procreate. He wore the magic underwear. He believed that Joseph Smith was, in fact, a prophet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whoa. And uh, sure enough, Jesus came to America to visit the Native Americans and also the few white people that were already there and bring them to salvation by way of a goat, a tablet, and a magic stone. I like to come. Yeah, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Bobby Hens, who demanded that I show my fucking nips. I want him to send me a selfie of his tits. <laughs> All right, let's get a tip pick. I need a tip pick. Oh, yeah, go ahead and check your head and non response. You can go ahead and do that. Yeah, buddy, that's a great podcasting. All right. <laughs> <laughs> The detective noticed that most of the airmen that gathered around stood still and watched in relative silence with the exception of... What the fuck, man? <laughs> Chill the fuck out, dude. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Feels good. The detective... <laughs> Why would you rub your fucking beard on this shit? Real feeb tonight. He noted that most of the airmen that gathered in the crowd stood still and watched in relative silence with the exception of two men who paced around the crowd speaking loudly and making frantic gestures with their hands. And it turned out those two men were none other than Pierre and Andrews. Based on their reaction to the dumpster and the officer's implication to Andrews, Pierre and Roberts were later arrested. Police then obtained a search warrant for their barracks. In Andrew's barracks, police found flyers for the hi-fi shop and a rental contract for a storage unit. Dumbasses. They're stupid. How the fuck do you not know to dispose of all evidence? Or like... Lock the fucking doors of the place you're robbing so people can't walk in. Yeah, I mean, there's that. They probably want... Yeah, it's, the whole thing's absurd. Once we get to the details of the trial, you'll see just how stupid these two are. But for fuck's sake, man. I mean, if you're going to do anything wrong and you have, like, evidence to corroborate that you were the person that did it, throw that shit in the trash can a long time before you commit the crime, you mutants. What the fuck's wrong with you? Why would you rob 
an electronic store and have a flyer in your room right next to a receipt for a storage unit, which of course they're going to get a warrant for and then search it. And then they find the fucking, all the speakers, all the, everything that went missing, match it up with the serial numbers, match it up with the serial numbers as a stolen equipment from the hi-fi shop. And at the same time, in the very same storage unit, find a half-empty bottle of Drano. Geniuses. They just need to clean some things. They're cleaning their sparks. They're cleaning their fires through the van. When it goes to trial, it's revealed. Oren Walker will testify. And for the defense attorney... Attorney? The defense attorney, that's his worst nightmare. What are you going to do at that point? You, sir, are fucked. Warren Walker's going to testify, and then Courtney Nesbitt, who is the only other person that survived, that was the son, despite the name Courtney. That's a man. Okay. (laughs) He was uh, shot in the back of the head, and he lived... But he was in the hospital for 286 days, most of it in a coma, medically induced to try to preserve his brain. I mean, that's basically a year, right? Yeah. It's like two months shy of a year, essentially, trying to recover. He's got amnesia. He doesn't remember most of the event at all, so they don't allow him to testify. I guess as the defense attorney, your only hope could be like, okay, well, they threw him out because of the trauma he went through. He's got amnesia, so I must assume maybe we can discredit Oren Walker on the same pretense. I don't know. I didn't watch the trial. Pierre and Andrews admitted that they had planned to rob the store, and I'm talking about in the trial, you know? Like, what's wild... Sorry, what's wild about these guys is, like, you know, there was six people involved. They only caught three of them. They never rolled on the other three. They never really told on each other. It's not that they could have got away with it because the evidence was strong. You yeah. know, all of their DNA, I mean, his cum, uh, you know, fingerprints, like eyewitness, they're fucked. But for the things they didn't tell on, they chose some weird things to tell on because they basically admitted the whole crime. And it's like, if you're going to be quiet about X, Y, and Z, then what makes you go into this? So anyway, Pierre and Andrews admitted that they had planned to rob the store with the intention of killing anyone who got in the way. And in the months prior, they were looking for a good way to commit the murders cleanly and quietly. The pair had found the movie and then repeatedly watched it like it was a great resource, Magnum Force, which I'm pretty sure is the original Dirty Harry movie. It stars Clint Eastwood, and in the movie, a pimp makes a prostitute drink Drano. As soon as she sips it, she falls over dead. And so these fucking feebs expected the exact same reaction of pouring a highly caustic liquid into human flesh would have the same reaction and not bubbling boils of pus and gore coming out of their face. You're a full on fucking retard. Oh, if yeah. If you fucking They're watch a movie. Shit. You got dirty harried. It's so realistic, my guy. Listen, <laughs> listen. that frontal lobe damage, it, there's no damage. It's not there. There's no damage. You're dumb. dumb. You're dumber than fucking dumb. shit. The only thing Feeb. you know is that I was like, Feeb. I like a cool Feeb. buzz. Feeb. Feeb. 
There's a cool buzz I like. I like to come. I like to kill. Those are the three things you know. Yeah, they fucked that whole thing up so bad. God damn. What a dumb fucking world. Oh, man. It just doesn't ever get any better, friends. The yes, official. It does. Yeah, you're right. I know. It does. I understand. I'm positive. I'm just talking about these guys are morons, my friend. They're, they're stupid as shit. <laughs> The official police report stated that six black men driving two vans committed the robbery. Roberts and another man rema- and the other men remained with the cars, and the two others loaded the vans while Pierre and Andrews tortured and killed the victims. There was only ever enough evidence to connect the three to the crime, so three people in this thing walked away clean. You got three idiots and three smart guys. Officer Delroy White, a detective that worked the case, said Andrews was the brains and organized the whole thing. Pierre was the enforcer. Dare Pierre Selby was 21 at the time of the crime. He was born and raised in Trinidad and Tobago until moving off to Brooklyn, New York at the age of 17. In May 1973, he joined the Air Force and was transferred to Hill Air Force Base in September as a helicopter mechanic. Right after he arrived, Pierre became the prime suspect in the October 5, 1973 murder of Edward Johnson, which was an Air Force sergeant at Hill Air Force Base. And he was basically in charge of where Pierre was at, so it was pretty easy to connect the dots but the uh, military police lacked the evidence to file charges. It never happened. Here's the thing, too, man. With uh, Mormonism in Utah, it, there was a very unlikely chance that you would be black and you would be a priest. So if you're there are six black men and the satanic fucking number is 666, pick up sticks, and you're black, they probably just hated black people. They probably hated them, which was... Well, that's a good thing to talk about with Utah. They, uh, you know, um, we'll get into the for sure racial bias of the case, but in the Mormon religion, I can't remember the exact year, but it was late nineties when they got rid of this in their official text. But there was a thing called the curse of Cain. Yeah. Which was like, there's the story of Cain and Abel who are twin brothers. Were they twin brothers or just brothers? They're just brothers, yeah. All right, so Cain and Abel are brothers. Cain kills Abel. Cain's black. <laughs> the mark. No, Cain's not black, but everyone, like there's 12 tribes in Israel, and the tribes that descended from Cain, according to the Mormon religion and possibly other religions, were darker-skinned. Mm-hmm. So the curse of Cain, because he committed that murder, would prevent you from getting into heaven, is what Mormons believed. 12 Tribes is my favorite hardcore band. That's not a hardcore band. What the fuck are they? Rap metal? Rap metal? <laughs> New metal? <laughs> so hardcore? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, crap. Uh, at the time of the Hi-Fi murders, Pierre was actually out on bail for car theft from a Salt Lake City dealership. On November 16, 1974, Pierre was convicted of three counts of first-degree murder and two counts of aggravated robbery for the Hi-Fi murders. Four days later, he was given three death sentences, one for each victim. He tried every angle for appeal. He changed his name 27 times. But finally, 
on August 28, 1987, he was put to death by lethal injection. And he actually left everything he had to his old friend, William Andrews. 29 bucks. Wow. <laughs> uh, that's proof. Of? You can't be a Mormon. Okay. William Andrews <laughs> was 19 at the time of the crime. He was sentenced to death because of the revelation that they had planned to kill anyone that got in the way. He was killed by lethal injection July 30th, 1992. Keith Roberts, who was also 19 when the crime took place, was proven to have no role or knowledge in the murders. And for the robbery, he served 13 years in jail. Wow. Not fun. Once the death sentences came, the NAACP and Amnesty International actually campaigned to commute their death penalties. The NAACP demanded the death sentences should be revoked because of the racial bias of the trial. They noted that the defendants were black, the victims and jury were all white. The big problem, according to Amnesty International, is that the sole black member of the jury pool was stricken preemptively by the prosecution during jury selection. In other words, they had one black person that was up for being in the jury, and the prosecution gave them the boot. Yeah. Because they probably figured that they might have sympathy. So, Amnesty used that to uh, go against them. Now... What the fuck? That's crazy to me, man. Yeah, because of the crimes that took place and them admitting to it, you know, but they're in a in a way they're right. Um, Byron, you know, so, uh, after he, you know, we already said that he was put to death. Like three years after he was put to death, they actually Amnesty International actually won their case against the United States that he was not given, uh, not Pierre. But Andrews was not given a fair trial, yeah, because of racial bias. But at the same, t- I mean, because he, I guess he, I guess it could have been up in the air that he maybe shouldn't have gotten the death penalty. But maybe, man, it, maybe life. I don't, man. I, I'm not a death penalty person myself. I'm not either. But in the state of Utah, first of all, personally, I would way rather die than spend a ton of time in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, if, we, what if you got life in prison versus the death penalty? Which are you taking? I, listen, if I got life in prison, um, sorry, prison guards, I'm taking as many of you as I can. That reminds me, you, everyone, including you, you got to watch the movie Brawl in Cell Block 99. It's the hardest movie I've ever seen before. I want to watch it because I saw the preview to it and I was whoa. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it yet. I want to watch it. It's hard. Man, goddamn. Um, but yeah, dude, if it, you know, between life in prison and execution, I would choose execution. I could not, you know, if that's what your entire existence is going to be from here out, fuck that shit. Obviously, I would never end up in that position, but Jesus, man. Well, I don't know, dude. I just can't be in prison. You can't be in prison. We nah, can't be in prison. I mean, man. I don't do anything that I don't do anything either, but that. it'd just be bad for everybody. Um, and, the, you know, the whole thing is fucked, obviously. That's a type of crime that just affects a whole community. And then you, I watched a news clip about Byron Naisbitt's story, which he was the father and husband. You know, his wife went down to try to find their son. His son was a good Samaritan that walked into, walked into that business to tell him, thanks for letting me park here. 
And he had to go to the hospital right after this shit had all happened. He had to walk to the basement of the hospital, which is where the morgue was, and identify his wife's body. And then his son wasn't in the morgue, so he walked around the hospital and found his son, who had had a mouthful and throat full of Drano, had been shot in the back of the fucking head. God. And sit by his son, who again was in the hospital for damn near 300 days. And the guy had a great outlook on life. He had been remarried. He had a little French bulldog with him. He was just basically <laughs> like, you know, you got to just keep plugging on. There's nothing you can do about the past. You just got to keep moving forward and try to not think about it. And, of course, the news was there to exploit his not thinking about it. <laughs> and to dig up that sweet, sweet story for a payday. Fuck. Apparently, the criminals, especially Pierre, were hated in prison. Uh, basically because they're black in Utah. <laughs> and uh, Pierre's final words were, I'll be glad when this is over. They asked him if he had anything else to say. He said, no, I just want to say my prayers and get it over with. And they put him to sleep, as he should have been, with lethal injection. Wow. And that is the conclusion of the harrowing tale of the Hi-Fi murders. What a... F- Grizzly. That's grizzly, dude. Gruesome. Crazy. I guess now's a good time to remind you to follow us across all social media. We got Death Metal Dicks on Twitter that we don't use very much or basically at all. (laughs) We got Death Metal Dicks on Facebook, Death Metal Dicks on Instagram, K-R-I-S-T-O-F-E-R-M, Pierce on Facebook, Buddy, 1-L-O-Y-D on Facebook, Professional pirate media. Instagram smells like Teen Chris. Lloyd have mercy. Six six six. Six six six. Yeah, pick up sticks. What we do here at Death Metal Dicks is take grisly, horrible, terrifying, life altering true crimes that we find interesting and we try to figure out the roots of some of our favorite death metal songs by way of of comparing them to crimes that have happened before. This week, we chose Dying Fetus, Blunt, Force, Trouble. This, hands down, is the longest fucking lyrics I've ever read. And this is my favorite part of the show, and I can <laughs> assure you from what a fucking Phoebe's been the whole time, but is wasted. Stu- I'm a hammer right now. Okay, you guys ready? All right. Go. We exist to destroy, fuck you all, fuck you all. The prophecy unfolding, we have no time to wait. The world is dead and rotting, a lifeless tomb remains. We have no compassion, hate runs through our veins. Faceless and abandoned, we cannot be saved. Rise above the waste, a re-informed spread, reformed spreads across this earth all-consuming, no return. We are the resurre- resurrected, strong with hate. We kill the ones that keep us down. With the body we embrace, what pleasure gives you? No God wants us. Penetrate so deep inside your twisted flesh. Weak, the worthless, terrified. How you tremble at the... Fuck. <laughs> 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 Tell everybody how you hey, tremble man, you pretty at, far, the, dude. <laughs> at the sight 
of me. You cannot know what I'm fucking la- what I fucking laugh and watching you bleed. No expression, no compassion. Born to kill. My instinct is you're in hell awaits. Feel your life slip away. Start to pray. No one hears, no one cares, no one lives. Watch and wait. The embodiment of hate burns inside. No one in left no one is left alive. Revenge karma kills revenge. Cause of, cause effect revenge life to death. One by one they all will fall. When I get the fucks, I'll crucify them all. Take the best motherfucker they got. Kick him in the face and hang him out to rot. Hell yeah, this is long. I gotta piss. I want you to die and no motherfucker should have to question why. Your life, your your life's no worth fuck. No worth fuck. Is this song just like a call to fight somebody in high school? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Y'all talking shit, time to get to it. It was <laughs> <laughs> fucking mankind talking. <laughs> <laughs> just grab another bitch and bust another nut. Hell yeah. <laughs> Why can't you fucking go and die? Your life's worth less than my shit. God can't help you, pretentious fuck. Pools of red at my feet. Flesh with flesh. Meat on meat. No fucker in this world I call my friend. The bitches and sluts are fucking dead. Another fucker's talking shit again. A bullet in the head. Uh, That was the chorus. Is what he gets. Fuck you all, eat my shit. I remain throughout time. Pure with hate, I cross all lines. They can't remember, I won't forget. The fallen and forgotten. Forever laid to rest. You won't be the last fucking one to challenge my hate. Your weakness is just what I need to terminate. Kill and fucking rape. Fuckers hit the dust. When they fuck with us, kill, fuck, maim, tear, fuck you all, I don't care. Dude, Dying Fetus lyrics are hilarious. (laughs) Especially the early on shit, No, dude, it's still the same. It's just all about fucking raping and fighting. Like, I don't... Those guys have never been in a fight before. Here's the deal. You're right. You're you're (laughs) like, oh, man. What they do is they go, hey, man, uh, give me that 12-piece shit from Popeye's. Oh fight that shit. And that's what the that's what the lyrics are really fucking Well they're not fat. They're in pretty good shape. But listen guys, I gotta piss so bad. So tonight, this week, I'm gonna leave you with this. Satan is Lord. Exalt him. Lift weights. Don't be soft. We'll no. see you guys next week. Power lift. <coughs> <coughs> yeah.